Hey, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, Meryl Streep joins the cast of Big Little Lies. Mary J. Blige is nominated for not one, but two Oscars. And Casey Affleck is too embarrassed to be a presenter at the Oscars. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. What are you doing over there? I was just turning down my headphones. It's a little loud. In well, you here. just made a choice for both of us. Did in that I? Moment. Yeah, you did. I was just fiddling, really. I don't actually know what any of those chords <laughs> or buttons do. Just playing with the knobs at the theme song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> doing the remix over here <laughs> in my ears. We should get two chains on it or something. Should oh, we? Oh, boy. No? No, I don't think so. How are you doing, Erin? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, and a beaver talk first. All of our opening things are actually things that are happening. What a moment. There's this a, is. There is a lot happening right now. You know, I haven't really felt enraged over the past like couple of weeks in the way that I normally am by Hollywood. And mm. especially around Oscars and awards season, just so much bullshit comes out. And it yeah. seems like that's just not happening. Yeah, I feel like they took a real nod from the Golden Globes and they said, okay, we're not going to do this. This is how we're going to move forward more intentionally. You know, we're going to actually nominate Jordan Peele and uh, Greta Gerwig for Best Director. There were a lot of breakthrough nominations. And it's been an exciting time. I feel like Hollywood is definitely at least being more thoughtful, you know, and um, there's a lot to really dive into and talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Reese Witherspoon kind of Reese Witherspoon and just every everybody who came up to the Golden Globes really showed like we're not messing around, mm-hmm. and this is not. That's the first time I watched an award show where I just kept being like, "Is this real life? Yeah, is this actually happening?" I know it was so crazy because I was actually hosting um, for my in laws like Christmas. We hadn't gotten together, so I missed in real time the Globes, which is why you did your fabulous. Um, update for Beaverettes who haven't checked it out yet. You did a, a beautiful write-up of kind of the moment. And I remember, I think, did you text me or I texted you and we were just talking about like who to check in with. And then I kind of did a deep dive the day after to just listen to all the speeches and things like that. And I was shocked. I was like, wow. I Because I, I think to your points, like sometimes award shows can be a little self-serving and self-congratulatory and we don't see a lot of movement. Um, in these big institutions, but the Globes, they really shook things up. And I'm I'm interested, what do you think the Oscar, what do you think we can look forward to with the Oscars? Well, I think we've already, they've already set an intention just by who they've nominated. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the first in so many categories for women. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the and most- women of color. Women, women of color. And this is the and most- men of color. Yeah. I mean, this is the most, um, fe- this is the most female nominees since 2016, mm-hmm. um, which was the most- of all time. So they're definitely making a huge effort to recognize these incredible artists and give them their moments and give them their um, accolades. And so I think it's really cool to see them kind of set that intention. And I think we're going to see, I hope they win. This is like kind of the big thing. I was thinking about that on the way here because I was like, this, it's one thing to be nominated. And of course, like what a, you know, Jordan Peele is the first um, black, director, writer, and producer to be nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so obviously these historical nominations, but also it's like to uh, something I am always thinking about is like how much harder was it him for for him to get funding and for him to be taken seriously and for him to be nominated when we just have a sea of people who we assume are directors as white men. Um, yeah, I, w- I, I hope people are really thoughtful about how much harder it is for marginalized people to get work done and to get really good work done. And I think to your point, yeah, I, I hope they win. Yeah, I hope um, I hope also this is a moment, you know, like just naming off some of the names like Greta Gerwig nominated for Best Director, fifth woman to be nominated in that category. She'll be the second, only the second one if she wins yeah. to have won to Best Director. Catherine Bigelow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mary J. Blige was nominated for Supporting Actress for Mudbound as well as Best Original Song. Um, Dee That's Rees. incredible. I yeah. just Can we pause for Mary J. Blige? Because I was just reading a New York Times article with her yesterday, and I, I literally started like tearing up because the, the, the seriousness and the soul of this woman, what she went through with her divorce, how she's channeling her pain into this role. And the really brilliant thing I thought in the interview was that she was like, you know, there are women who've paved the way before me, like Taraji P. Henson, Queen Latifah, like, you know, there are women who are who are doing good work and I want to stand next to them. And just the seriousness of what she how she takes her craft. And um, it was chilling when she said she watched the film. I believe she saw it at Sundance, uh, maybe not for the first time, but kind of when it was probably polished and finished. And she said she didn't recognize herself. And how chilling is that to like see yourself on screen and to really have gone so deep into a character that you feel so vulnerable that you're like seeing different shades of your personality. I thought, wow, that's spectacular. And like, congratulations to her. Oh, and her performance in it is astounding. So it's like all the kudos to her. It's incredible. I watched the trailer yesterday after um, reading the interview with her and I was, I'm so into it, but I'm also like afraid of war movies. It's not a war movie. It's not a war movie. No. Okay. The war is taking place. It's definitely, I mean, two of the sons go away to war and they uh-huh. show the experience of what it was like to come back as a white man versus a black man. Okay. Having fought for your country, having given the same sacrifice. Yeah. Um, but it's not a war movie. It's more okay. of a, it's more of an examination of like race, family and race and sexism and the struggles to kind of modernize and, and move forward after just so much turmoil. Okay. It's re- it's phenomenal. Mudbound is incredible. Okay, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. I'm a little sensitive to I know. military I know shit. You are. <laughs> well, and it's violent. Like, full disclosure, it's violent. Yeah. Don't love that either, but. Well, you got to do it, girls. I'll dip home. in. I'll dip in for Mary. Um, yeah, Mary Jade Blige. I hope she wins everything. Yeah. I love her. Always loved her. Um, Dee Rees got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Mudbound. Rachel Morrison was nominated for Cinematography. First female to be nominated for Cinematography. Like, what year is it again? That's so, but I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's weird because it's like on one hand, it's like really. And then on the other hand, it's like, that's incredible. Absolutely. So it's such a double-edged sword. And yeah. If, and yeah, again, we hope they fucking win. I hope they win. And Octavia Spencer, I mean, this is her third nomination for Best Supporting Actress. She has not had the curse that so many actresses have had where they win an Oscar and fall off the face of the earth. She's really just the staying power of her is incredible. She's so good. She's so good. She's, she was the best part of Shape of Water, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I really love her. Um, so yeah, and I also hope people look into the work that these people have done. Like, I hope people look into what these women have already accomplished. And this is kind of a time to deep dive all these incredible artists and mm-hmm. like really, really celebrate this moment. I think it's really exciting. Um, do you want to do some predictions? I feel like there's some categories that are like super tough. 
Yeah, it's a weird year because I don't agree with who they've been giving all the nom like who they've been giving the awards to, which is three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Um, I really detested that movie. <laughs> um, and I would have given so much to call me by your name. Yeah, I, I was gonna say was so film. for best picture, we have the nominees are <laughs> and the nominees are don't mess it up like Warren Buffett. Call me by your name. Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, Shape of Water, question mark for me, um, and Three Billboards. Where do you think we're going here? I think Three Billboards is going to take it. Really? I do. Who do you want to win? I would love to see Lady Bird or Call Me By Your Name win. Or Get Out. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, I would be happy with that for sure. It's not your number one? Not my number one, but, but I would be absolutely thrilled with it. If you had to pick just one. You're, who are you going oh for? You're, you're signing your cat, your name to I want to see Greta Gerwig get on that stage and take what's hers. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Such a great cast, too. Oh. Yeah. The love and that the was writing. put into that film was yeah. just palpable. It's a real standout. Although I'm I still haven't seen Get Out because I suck. <laughs> no. I've already been shamed about this. But I feel like I, <laughs> I already feel like I'm rooting for it. I'm speechless and I I'm on a podcast. I know, I know. Um... What did I say? Warren Buffett. Oh, yeah, you did say Warren Buffett. Producer Kent stepping in with the real talk. (laughs) Thank you, Kent. Let's move the shame away from me. Some old Warren is going to come in here. Just don't be them. (laughs) Um, Who do you think is going to take home Best Director? I mean. Do you think they're going to give it to Christopher Nolan? (laughs) I hope so. We've got Christopher hope, Nolan, Jordan Peele, Greta Gerwig, I hope Greta Paul Gerwig. Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread, and Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. He's probably going to take it, but I hope it's you Greta Gerwig. You think so? Yeah. Was Shape of Water that good that we're... It's leading the nominations. It was nominated for 13. But why? Kent, did you see that movie? Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm a cynic. Okay. I thought it was like really... It was art. Like, it was, like, made with, like, a lot of... It's the most pretentious thing I've ever said, but... Did you see the other one with the hands? <laughs> <laughs> the one the he hands? did before that where the eyeballs are in the hands? Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth, of course. I feel like this was not a Pan's Labyrinth. Like, I feel like he... I wanted to see it... I wanted it to get weirder. Like, I wanted him to really go there, and this felt very mainstream for me. Yeah, it's so mainstream to have sex with a fish. <sighs> I don't know. But that movie was like where you really were in a universe. And again, they gave too much space to the male, the male uh, arc. He had like five soliloquies. And I was like, get this guy off the camera. It's not his story. It's that it became kind of like this manic man story. He kind of took it over in the end. Oh, I, I was not that into that. At all. all right. So you're going to vote for. Uh... <laughs> no, I want Greta Gerwig to win. But if we have to give it to Guillermo. Del Toro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it can definitely Guys, go I studied him. abroad in Spain. Hello. I can do an accent. International. You need it. Um, let's see. Who else is interesting? I'm going to skip some of these because I don't care. Because it's straight up. Who cares? Yeah. But um, actress in a supporting role. I mean, Mary J. Blige. Yeah, that's Come true. Come on. Allison Jennings is nominated for I, Tanya. No, Mary. Leslie this is Manville, my thing with the Oscars. Lori is like, Metcalf for Lady Bird. She was great. Octavia Spencer, Shape of Water. It's a tough category. Mary J. Blige. Because here's the thing. Mary, Mary. 
My big thing with the Oscars is like when you have an exciting year like this and somebody gets nominated, like somebody gets really recognized for like mm-hmm. the incredible work they've done. And they're not a legacy. They're not like an actor that's going to be nominated for this three million more times in the in like the course of their career. They should win. Yeah. Should like that role will not come around again for Mary J. Blige. Mm-hmm. That's a huge role. Yeah. And I hope it does. I mean, obviously, like I hope this is the start of an incredible acting career for her. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like really amazing when you see somebody recognized for a role that like they step into they step into and that's like and octavia spencer like she will be nominated again like there are just certain things where i would love to see octavia spencer nominated for best leading i think that's gonna gonna say yeah can we give her more space yeah that'll be a big shift for her um maybe i would have liked the movie more if she was the lead (laughs) (laughs) everyone was really down on her in, like, the reviews and stuff. For Shape of Water? Yeah. They felt that she was, like, too stock. Which is a problem well, that in was writing. writing. That's, That's not her. Writing. That's not her, yeah. Squirrel but Friend. I thought that movie was very predictable. <laughs> That's why I didn't like it. Um, actress in a leading role. We've got Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water. Frances McDormand for Three Billboards. Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. Oh, God. How do we say her name? Sorcy Ronan? Sersha Ronan. Sersha Ronan. I'm a better Irish girl. For Lady Bird and Meryl Streep for The Post. Would love to see Sarah Ronan take it, but I kind of feel McDormand's like, gonna win. I kind of feel like Margot Robbie. Really? I just feel like to have to do three versions of Tanya Harding and like the 63 billion outfit changes, like the 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 chameleoning of being that role was so intense. And like the physical abuse that they like the abusing kind of part of it. I, I just felt like I felt like that was a tough role, and she fucking nailed it. Yeah. So that's who I'm rooting for. It's a strong for. category this year. It, yeah. Frances McDormand picked up her movie and carried it all the way to the end credits. Mm. She does all the heavy lifting in that movie. Yeah. Um, but you didn't like it? No. I thought it had huge problems in writing. Okay. It's, I don't know. Have you seen it? No. Okay. Yeah. They were just, they're a big. They're not selling me on it either. No. They're a big, <laughs> you will hate that movie. I kind of hope you watch it now. Um, yeah. I just, nobody's really talking How about it. How many movies it. do you see them on? A thousand. Movie Pass is like sponsoring my life right now. I know. I know. But it's Seriously like. Seriously though. How many have you seen this month? I've seen all of the Oscar nominees except for Dark- Darkest Hour. All right. And I tried to go see it. But it failed. I want to... Meryl Streep reads a chapter in Sheila Evans's book. She loves Sheila Evans. She does? Mm-hmm. She sent her a letter. It was on the Alec Baldwin podcast. I don't remember this. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> she reads a chapter about Sheila's kind of breakthrough moment, kind of, and how she shapes, like, her empathy within the documentaries. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Sheila Evans is was the president of HBO for 35 years, is the documentary guru, male or female, like in the space, like the BL and all has produced 1200 documentaries. And she has, she has this enormous collection of talent do her audiobook: RuPaul, Lena Dunham, Katie Couric, um, Rosie O'Donnell, just, I mean, everybody. And Meryl reads the last chapter about her mother and her mother's um, deformity and the disease that she has and kind of them being in this cafe in Queens. Um, And just kind of the, I was like, wow, Meryl Streep is a real actress. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was, and I by the end of it, you feel so invested in the story. And granted, you're hearing from like everybody, and you know everyone's reading. But like, wow, she the the depth and the intensity that she brought to that role. I was like, wow, she should be nominated. <laughs> I was like, wow, this woman is a serious actress. Wow. Um, Meryl Streep, guys. She's one to watch. Yeah. I was <laughs> blown away. That's incredible. I really was. I and maybe also fun. because you're listening to it comparatively to like people who are just feel like they're reading an audiobook. She really did the work. And I could, you could tell, sister. She did great. She's outdone herself this year and she is now the most nominated. She's that she had to beat her own record, so she's done that now for the post. Yeah, and women of color have only been nominated four times. Let's just put that in perspective of how far we still need to go. Um, anybody else that's exciting or that you're interested in? I wanted to mention the documentary features, um, which I the documentary will say that all of their films, um, Abacus, uh, Faces Places. Icarus, Last Man in Aleppo, and Strong Island. And I had the pleasure of going to the Cinema Eye Awards three weeks ago or whenever it was. And I got to see Yance Ford win for her documentary, Hi. Strong Island, um, or I'm sorry, his documentary, Strong Island. And it was just, uh, it was so cool to kind of be in the room with these documentary filmmakers, you know, have them all be kind of New Yorkers, the energy of them like supporting one another and, um, just kind of showing up and it was like a really exciting night and I was taking photos of Yance on the red carpet and just like the joy of, you know, making that film and something that they said while they were accepting the, uh, the award um, was like directing is not a singular, it's a plural. Mm. And it was just such a joy to see this cast and this film. Um, and I don't, to be honest, I don't even know what the movie is about, but it's, um, I believe it has something to do with, now I'm going to totally blank and butcher everything, but anyway. We're down the beaver tail. Yeah, we're down the beaver <laughs> Cool. That's really exciting. So that was exciting for me. I just wanted to plug myself of being Erin's <laughs> <laughs> inserting her experience with the Oscar nominees yeah, into exactly. this Yeah, exactly. I was like, so. wow, it's like um, they're right in front of me. It's any day now. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be moving in this uh <laughs> in this direction anything else that's really fun any no. other categories that you're really interested in i have some other no. topics i wanted to talk i think about army hammer you. got snubbed for what call me by your name you didn't get nominated for best supporting oh that is a bummer I'm everyone I, i'm really excited that people are honoring that movie though was it nominated for a golden globe or am i yeah, crazy it was okay. nominated for everything and didn't get anything okay <laughs> i don't know what I'm i follow about. his wife on facebook and the, or on instagram and they really do just live a a glamorous, fun Hollywood life. They're yeah. like touring around Europe right now with Timothy Chalamet, who's the lead in Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. Also in Lady Bird. What a year he's having. Um, but yeah, they're just bopping. He's bop- so cute. He's so cute. And they're mm-hmm. bopping around Paris and just like being adorable at like train stations and stuff. Amazing. Highly recommend it. Um, there's a couple of off topics that have to do with Hollywood that I wanted to talk to you about. I do like going off topic. They're on- we're on, but we're off. We're on, we're off, we're left, we're right, we're here, we're there, you know? Um, wanted to talk to you about Aziz Ansari. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Let's just get out, let's get the big one out of the way first. Oh, yeah. Because I know we've had slay some... Slay this dragon. We've had some altercations about it, actually. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of in a constantly evolving process with it, because... Why don't you tell 
the people. listener, the Bettys, <laughs> where you're at with this information. So when I first read Grace's account in Babe, mm-hmm. Babe, yep, I just felt. First of all, I felt really sad mm-hmm. that this had happened. Yeah, because you, it just kind of feels like death by a thousand cuts that these stories keep coming out, mm-hmm. and it feels very. It feels like we can't go a day without one of these stories coming out. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, I was reading it and I was kind of thinking like, man, like I've been there. Mm-hmm. I know women who have been there. Yeah. I've been in situations where something very bad could have happened mm-hmm. and I'm very lucky and grateful it didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I realize that's a privilege. I realize that's like something I carry with me. That's like, I've never thought about it mm-hmm. because nothing really happened. Yeah. I've just like literally... I didn't give it any thought because I didn't feel like my life had been impacted or in any way kind of determined by what happened. Mm-hmm. So when I read her account, I was just kind of, I was just very sad and mm-hmm. obviously like huge issues of consent and it's like creepy and it's like, um, I don't really hold Aziz Ansari up on any kind of pedestal because I don't really care about him as a human, but mm-hmm. with love. Um, but I think the conversations that then started to come out you know, we really started to see what we were all waiting to see, which was the destruction of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And suddenly women were attacking one another of like, that's, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that, you know, what are you complaining about? This is not a huge problem. You shouldn't equate this with what's happened to um, other women who have lent their voice to this movement. Like if they really just hyena, the hyena just descended onto this woman and, I think what I was frustrated with in the initial conversations and when you and I kind of talked about it is like, where are we going? Mm-hmm. I'm so frustrated with feminism, this kind of thread that runs through feminism where it just seems like we all, there are so many voices and so many competing perspectives and arguments mm-hmm. that we're not actually making any progress. We're just kind of cannibalizing our own. So when a woman shares her story and when um, she comes forward with the same kind carrying through the same thread that this movement has been championing, mm-hmm. we immediately go for her jugular because it's not bad enough. Yeah. So you're not feminist enough. This is not, you shouldn't speak your truth because it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And at first I was kind of frustrated because conversations kind of were, I, I, I worried about this kind of thread I see especially around the Z's and sorry stuff about women all being victims mm-hmm. and all being weak, which was a lot of conversations that I was seeing happen was just kind of like, we're weak. We should be protected. We can't protect ourselves. Like this is what women have to go through. And that's something that really bothered me as I saw just in the, like the very initial couple days after um, the story had broken out, it just seemed like women were being painted in this really like, yeah, just weak light. And I felt there was no agency for any of us. I felt there was kind of no hope. It was just like, we are, we are made to be victims and that's what this is going to be. And I didn't see any progressive conversation happening. And it was, it was really frustrating to me because it kind of seemed like we had all been waiting around for the Me Too movement to cannibalize itself. And this was, this was it. It was starting. And since then, I mean, it's been amazing to see the conversations that have been taking place, especially from men. I've pulled a few articles written by men about this. Um, 
But I'm still kind of concerned about where we're going. I'm concerned about like where all of this, what, what we're teaching women, what we're teaching ourselves, what we're, what we're championing for one another. Well, I mean, just a short answer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't see the same victim narrative when I read and observe and hear pieces like that. Um, For me, it's more about the validation that consent is like an ongoing conversation. And I think Samantha B said it best that it doesn't have to be rape to ruin your life. And it doesn't have to ruin your life to be worth speaking up against. And I think we're at this point now in the Me Too movement where we need to start talking about what it means behind closed doors. Um, I read an article. Let me just pull up the statistics here. Um, Basically saying that uh, in the week, this girl named Lily wrote an article and basically 30% of women report having pain during vaginal sex and large proportions don't tell their partner when sex hurts. So we have this systematic you know, body in our culture that kind of acknowledges that female pain and female pleasure is secondary in that experience. And so I do appreciate the nuance of like, hey, like we need to talk about this and we need to talk about maybe the subconscious or the nonverbal cues when women feel uncomfortable. And I think to your point, empowering and educating and creating space for these stories and honoring these stories and giving power to these stories so that women can say, okay, like, you know, and to feel emboldened to say, okay, I'm going to speak up next time, or I'm going to say this, or I'm going to be more direct or, or to have men look at this and go, oh my God, like I've been a perpetrator of this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to listen more and I'm going to understand more and I'm going to ask more questions and we're going to make sure we're both having a consensual, you know, fabulous time. So I think for me, it's like, we need, I think we need more stories like this. And I think they're, I think the cannibalization of me too. And like, the woe is Aziz Ansari was like so blown out of proportion because it was saying that women don't understand the difference between a creep and a rapist. Like we know that there are two different sides to this movement. We know that just because, you know, she had this horrible night that we've all experienced 100 um, percent. It doesn't mean that Aziz is a rapist. It doesn't mean she was like sexually abused. It means that she had like a I mean, maybe sexually abused is a now I'm, now I'm double thinking. We well, don't know no, the verbiage I mean, yet for like right. how to talk about this stuff. And I think we, to your point, we can't be cannibalizing and like going after our own. Like we definitely need to be making space for these stories and these conversations. And I will say it's been so refreshing to be able to have space to, you know, talk to my girlfriends about this and say like, you know, how has this happened to you? Like, and just being able to talk about it with them, with my partner. I mean, I think it's really powerful. Um And so I like that we've been in this space and I know it's bringing people a lot of discomfort. Um, And I hear what you're saying about the victim narrative, like where you don't want women to feel, you don't want the overlying narrative to be that this is happening to women in all spaces. But like at the end of the day, it is. No, that's not what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is like we're teaching women that you're going to be a victim and you don't have a voice. That's just how it is. How do you and think we're teaching women that? Because though? what I what and this was kind of the initial reactions that I saw coming out immediately after the story was broken is that like men are rapists and women like are victims. And it just kind of seemed to be this lack of critical engagement with like no we need to talk about consent. 
Mm-hmm. Men need to do better. Men need to understand what rape is. Men need to understand what consent is. Women need to understand they have a voice. Mm-hmm. And if they don't feel good and they don't want to do it, they have to feel em- we have to create a society in which women feel empowered to speak up. Totally. And we don't, I mean, we are light years away from having that, but this is where these conversations begin. And I have seen those seeds planted now. It's, you know, it's been a little bit since that story has come out and that's definitely starting to be the way the conversation was going. Mm -hmm. But when you and I first started talking about it, I didn't see that happening at all. I saw it being this kind of like, this kind of like tug of war Mm -hmm. between like, men should just be obviously like expected not to do this. Yeah. And I would love to see all of us. I would love to see a way for women to feel empowered. Like I thought about like my mom. I was raised by a very feminist woman, which I'm like so grateful for. And she taught me when I started going to parties and I started to drink and I started to have boyfriends. You know, she taught me like, if it doesn't feel good, leave. You don't need to stay to be polite. You don't need to stay because you have nowhere else to go. You don't need to stay. You need to look out for you. You need to look out for your girlfriends. You guys all need to be in this together. He needs to know like what's okay. Like she was just very like drilling that into me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I would love to pay that forward. That's so powerful. I would love to pay that forward and do that for, for women who have not had that, which is so many of us. Yep. And I think that that's the piece of the conversation. Like if I can lend my voice in any way to this movement, that's something that I feel called to do because I had that. Mm-hmm. And I know what it did for me. Well, I think the I think to your point, like obviously we want to see some kind of action. We want to see these conversations rooted in a place that then they can see action. So I hear what you're saying. But I also think that, you know, and this is like with any movement, there also needs to be a level of like discourse and like getting on the same page about and dialogue. And sometimes like just sharing your story is the catalyst to that. But sometimes it comes after. And I think we need to be prepared in this movement for, you know, other things to happen where we might need time to process them and think about them. I thought it was really interesting. Generationally, I've, I've seen the older feminists really turn away from this story and really attack this story, where the younger feminists were like, no, actually, we need to have conversations about consent. This is just as valid as, and important. And so we are having like these intergenerational conversations around feminism, and we need to give space for the movement to be able to do that. And I think, obviously, to your point, you know, one of the worst things is like when we start going after our own, Um, And but sometimes there is a learning that needs to take place. And sometimes there is time that people need to be able to be given to get on the same page. And I think that's the piece of it for me is like the time we Mm -hmm. need to be patient with one another and we need to not attack. And I'm talking one another like between women who want to have these conversations, want to do better, want to lend their voice to this movement. Mm -hmm. We need to be patient with one another that this may take three or four conversations. This may take a few months. This may take years. We're all sifting through our own stuff all the time. For sure. And I think that that patience is what we're lacking. Mm. I think it's so reactionary right now. I think it's so if you're not with us, you're with them. Yeah. And I think that we're not, we're not leading with compassion mm. in a way that we could be. Yes, Diana. Preach, girlfriend. <laughs> preach. I but think, I think that's, this is, the, and to your point, like we're seeing it now. We've seen it years and years and years. Like, I mean, this is like kind of part of it is, is there this, there is this quick reaction mm-hmm. Um, And I think one of the things that scares me about feminism is if you do make a wrong step and, 
you know, I'm thinking about Lena Dunham, although she's had a lot of chances. <laughs> so I'm not speaking about her specifically, but like sometimes we say, okay, you took a wrong step, you're out. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can, I think we need to, like you said, lead with compassion and make sure people have the space to make mistakes mm-hmm. and be able to say they're sorry and do the work and figure out how to take the next step forward. Because, you know, we are in a process and there are some things that our perspectives and our privilege doesn't give us access to. We have to dive deeper and understand a little bit more and do the work. So I think, yeah. I think that's right on. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just like we want, you know, for women who I know a lot of women have been scared to lend their input on the Aziz Ansari situation. I know there's been a lot of fear of judgment and a lot of fear of like, you know, shame around like if you don't really get it or if you're just kind of not like sure how you feel. And I think we need to leave space for those people who aren't totally sure of where they're landing all the time. I think that there's kind of, you know, it's called baby steps for a reason. You kind of like, especially women just entering into feminism, mm-hmm. you kind of have to, it's a constant negotiation of figuring out. And figuring um, out what feels right for you. What feels right for you. And I, and I think that that's, I would love to see this next phase of the me to times up all of it, just lead with compassion and patience. I think we, I think we are so in such a reactionary time right now, just because of the level that this has really started to ignite. Well, also, I think there's something so wild about the fact that we're still being taken seriously, that it's like, wow, can we still do this? For sure. You know, let's tell this story now. Like, let's start talking about this stuff. Like, I think there's such a, like a wide eyed, like optimism about like, we haven't been shut down. I don't think the movement has been totally cannibalized yet. So it's like, what's next? I know. I feel like there's so much more that's coming. And I do want to say, like, if you want to, if you are feeling like called to like engage with this and you're feeling like you want to be a part of it, um, just start to like wade into the waters and like know you're supported and know that there are so, this is such a moment. And I really want people to feel seen. I saw like a great um, cartoon by one of the women I follow called Julie Hoot on Instagram. And she has two women like sitting at a table. She does kind of like satire sarcastic cartoons mm-hmm. it's two women sitting at a table and they're just like oh me too is just like totally crashing in on itself and the other woman's like i know like what are we gonna do about it and like it's just so like like let's not do that let's not yeah. let them win i don't want the patriarchy to just eat this mm-hmm. we, we're better than that we didn't come this far to only get this far like let's keep going and i think that we have to keep going together which means we have to figure out how to how to make that happen for sure right on the other big piece of this and I know you and I have talked about it. It's like, what are men doing? <laughs> well, you know, we, ha- we just had the Women's March um, not too long ago. And um, I was kind of feeling weird about it because I kind of was like, oh, we have to keep doing Like, at some point, can we pass the torch on? Like, is there some way that like, why do I have to now spend every Saturday of my life protest? Like, it just felt... I don't know. There was something weird about the march and I was I really resisted going. And then I was like, get your shit together and just like go. Like, what are you talking about? And had a wonderful time and always feel so invigorated and inspired in those spaces. Um, but yeah, I, I did do a little Facebook rant the night before that was like, really? Like, what are the men doing? Like, I got to do this now and I have to make my sign. And I like I just feel like there's we're at a point now in the movement where we've broken through. And it's like, now we need to be supported and now we need to be shouldered. And like, I want to see, you know, everybody out there. And and New York, um, the march as it was last year is filled with everybody. I mean, everybody is out there supporting. So, yeah, but it is. What do you think the men should be doing? Well, one of my favorite 
um, articles of this whole Aziz Ansari situation um, came from a man who mm-hmm. it was written for The Root and it was written by a guy named Michael Harriet who wrote Men Understand Consent Like White America Understands Racism. Mm. And his whole argument is that, um, you know, there are people who don't believe they're racist just because they're not part of the KKK. Yeah. Um, in the way that there are men who think that they're not sexist because they're not committing rape. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how, like, we're, as a, he's like, as a man, I'm just never going to understand what it's like to feel like my body is fundamentally unsafe during sex. And I, he's talking about heterosexual men. Like, he's speaking from a very, like, mm-hmm. heteronormative place. Yeah. Um, but he's talking about how, like, he's, he's just never going to know what it's like to feel marginalized in that way. And so we have to empower women to keep sharing their stories and we have to listen to them. Yeah. And this is something that I always come back to. And this is like what men can be doing right now is listening and really taking the time to learn from our experiences, which is something that they are. It's extremely difficult. It's actually mm-hmm. shocking how difficult it is. <laughs> and not only learn, but understand that women are the authority. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, and I, we've said it on the podcast, but the hardest conversations that I have with my guy friends and even with Sal is, like, they can't release the authority that, like, they, that they don't know. And that they're, because they can kind of empathize with, they want to speak to maybe what it's like or how it feels. And it's really hard for them to relinquish authority in those conversations. So not only are you listening but you're understanding that your perspective is always going to be secondary to, you know, people who are marginalized. I think that's a very uncomfortable. And I think when you're gendered to like have your identity be the norm in culture throughout media and jobs and work and life, it's really hard to kind of detach yourself and think about another person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big one for me. There was another great article written about Aziz sorry, where um, it was written by an anonymous man for Vox and it was I thought it was one of the good guys then I read the Aziz Ansari story yes I read that as well yeah and he talks about how basically the exact same situation happened except I he mean was, how many hundreds of times have right. we been in these situations but that's what I love about this mm-hmm. is he's saying you know from the place of um again coming back to the educational component he was taught that rape was something committed in a dark alley between two strangers at two o'clock in the morning everyone's drunk like he never thought and in the story he talks about how he feels like he violated one of his best friends. Mm. So that's an interesting, it just names something that is an experience for so many people. And I think that that's also really powerful is, is he, he ends the article by saying rape culture stops when we stop raping. Mm-hmm. And that looks like everything under the sun. That is not just the experience in a dark alley at two in the morning. Absolutely. So that's really powerful too, is, is seeing the other side of the coin. Also, something that I know where we kind of talked about with Aziz that's like people are kind of relating it to everyday life. Um, But something that I don't know if people are really digging into is kind of the power dynamic of what it's like to be next to powerful people. And not only obviously are we having like a gender privileged space, um, but also like I know we talked about Lady Dunham. You know that episode of Girls where she goes over to that author's house? And she's like there to instigate and like write a mean article about him. And then he ends up kind of taking advantage of her and taking his dick out. And like it just escalates so quickly because she has such admiration. He has such power, the wealth of the house. Um, We're not really talking about the privilege of power here. And I would imagine, too, that in a space where you're, you know, with someone as famous and as successful and 
there's also a dynamic that's at play there. So I know there's a lot of criticism about Grace's testimony of like, well, why didn't you just like, you know, leave or what? Like there was a lot of bullshit um, narrative around her choices. And it's like, actually, we're not even seeing that there's a deeper dynamic, not only of just them being on a date and her being a woman and just kind of the uncomfortableness of that, um, but also the power dynamic of like him. I'm sure he's name dropping like the, the, the glitz and the glamour a little bit of that um, situation also is can be very, very heavy. Yeah. And we need to name that part of the reason why people are attacking her and not him is because they, they project so much onto him. Because they like him. He's Bay. He's like sure. Aziz. He's written modern romance. He's like done all, you know. How about that? He's on our <laughs> side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it, we need to kill these demons. We need to like slay the dragons of like holding these people up on pedestals and stop projecting onto them. Yeah, absolutely. James Franco is another one. I was, he's not going, he didn't get an Oscar nomination um, after winning the Golden Globe and, uh, you know, six women have come forward. One of them he taught um, as a professor and he didn't get an Oscar nomination and the comments I read like through the comments on people's Instagram feed, which I should never do in these cases. And everyone's just like, he has such kind eyes. Like, how is this happening? Like, it's just painful and this happened with johnny depp too yeah people love him so they don't believe this could ever be possible absolutely and and we still really fight that we still really fight that with these people Mm -hmm. well not to bring up lena dunham for the third time but (laughs) she did that with her writing partner she was like well he's a good guy and i don't see it and it's like yeah nobody wants to but this is where we're at this is where we're at and that's no longer acceptable it's not acceptable in this anymore it was never acceptable but now we're at a level. Fuck James Franco. That's really disappointing. I mean, he creeped on a 17-year-old girl and everyone just forgot about it. Yeah. We need to not forget these things. No. We need to not forget these things. Well, that also happened at a time where people were kind of like, eh. You know, that was like an R. Kelly, Chris Brown. Like, that was all in there, that era where people were like, well, It was also at a time you do? when, like, no one was really paying attention to Instagram. Like, Instagram really wasn't, like, a huge, huge, huge deal Facebook like it is didn't now. didn't buy it yet. Right. And I think that everyone was kind of like, yeah, he's probably creeping on girls. Like, I would, like, whatever. Ugh. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, why don't you get your thoughts on Mark Wahlberg? Have we talked about him and that whole salary debacle? Mark Wahlberg, so. All right. But good on you for donating your salary. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> I also thought that conversation was like a bit confusing because I think they were trying to make it about the pay gap, which obviously there was like a huge gap there. But it sounds like everybody on the crew was taking and Mark Wahlberg was in his own world. Didn't even sound like that was I thought the the way that they positioned the press on that was like a little wonky. Yeah, it kind of sounded like he got that huge bonus for reshoots. It was leaked and then that looked really bad. And so he kind of backpedaled and donated it. Absolutely. Which is fine. They I mean, he donated to, it at the end of the day. But they like, wanted whatever. to cut uh, Francis Underwood. What's his name? Kevin Spacey. Yeah, they wanted to cut Kevin Spacey out. So they did a bunch of reshoots to get rid of him. So everyone was like, yeah, let's get on board and not have this, you know, creep in our movie. And Mark Wahlberg was just not even in the... He just wasn't even part of the crew, it seems like. Well, I mean, I think that was a marketing thing. Ridley mm-hmm. Scott didn't care about the Kevin Spacey stuff. He just knew his movie was going to absolutely flop. 
if he kept him in the film. Totally. So that was a marketing move to like get rid of him and actually give this film a chance. Yeah. That's very cynical also, like, of me. like if you can pay Mark Wahlberg, can't we pay everybody else? Like I don't like the idea I'm that these so people are like this. I'm are so sick. working for money. Ugh. That makes me uncomfortable as a person. I am so Pay Michelle sick. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> like hello. And Jessica Chastain merging her salary with Octavia Spencer so they can both be paid more. Like, can we just pay women what they're worth? Pay women equal to men for equal work? Yeah. Is that not something we're capable of doing here? Like, it's actually blowing my mind Mm -hmm. that this is still... It must feel so strange to sit up on the set and know that the man to your right is being paid more for more just because he is a man well i think there's no transparency in it so if you're kind of going into these negotiations like you don't know how much mark fucking Wahlberg is making who is that actor bradley cooper bradley cooper said he is no longer going to sign on to movies where all of the salary negotiations are not happening publicly publicly bradley cooper yeah he's not and he hasn't done a movie in a while so that makes me nervous and i'm just joking um but yeah do we like bradley cooper I like him for that, yeah. I have mixed feelings because he's in this movie with Lady Gaga and I'm a little nervous about it. I know. I don't know why you're so upset about this. I think it's a great match. <sighs> I don't trust him, I think, because of Jennifer Lawrence. There's something I don't trust about her and maybe I'm projecting onto him. Oh, because they're friends? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence makes me nervous. <laughs> She's so scary. She just seems like a real loose cannon. Why does she make you nervous? I think I just detest her. (sighs) (laughs) No, but Bradley Cooper, I think, I I mean, more men need to like, there was kind of this flash a couple years ago where more men were stepping up about the equal pay for equal work issue in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And now we just have totally forgotten about that. And that's not a thing anymore. So I'd love to see that continue to be a huge talking point in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the exploitation, there was a woman who made an argument. Emma Stone was talking about it. Somebody wrote an article she was referencing where she, they basically said we wouldn't have these mass exploitation issues on set and women being so marginalized on sets if they were being valued mm-hmm. in the same way that men were well, we monetarily. Haven't, we haven't talked about Ellen um, Pompeo. Oh, my God. Is that how you say her last name? Mm-hmm. And her amazing article about how, like, they bring out women as show ponies in their 20s. Mm-hmm. They pay them, like, garbage amounts of numbers. And then they ignore them when they're in their 40s. And just kind of to your point that that pay, the exploitation, the ability for these people to be exploited because they're not being taken seriously. They're not actually making back-end money. Um, her article, who was it? Do you know where it was published? I feel like it was, like, the Fortune? Yeah. Is that right? I don't no, know. I don't think so. Uh- <laughs> Forbes Fortune. It was something. It felt like more of a business magazine because I believe she was on the cover. Yes. Um, Fabulous article. So inspiring. Talks about like being the highest paid television person, going to Shonda, you know, wanting a stake in the television show if she was going to move forward because she wanted to feel invested, kind of getting clear about like not wanting to direct, but like wanting to like do X, Y and Z, like being very clear with her intentions, having Shonda take her seriously and just talking about money in the industry in general and like how much she could value herself, how much she was worth. And that was really, really, really inspiring. And like, what a great way to incentivize your cast. You know, here's your lead star. Um, this show's been running for 10 years. How do, we in- how do we reinvest this person to, you know, give their all on set, to be present, to push the show forward, to continue to have it be great? Um, brilliant on both of their parts. Yeah, and she references Jay-Z, so that makes me very happy. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we see this happen in the music industry. It's like all of these industries. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, I loved it. More conversations like that, please. Ellen Pompeo was feministing her Wednesday. Hello. Which is a new thing we're doing. Yeah, tell us about that. So um, Feminist Wednesday's Instagram, which is at Feminist Wednesday, has a little post about, basically, we want you to comment on this photo of a house burning down (laughs) (laughs) Um, to tell us how you're feministing your Wednesday. You know, are you screaming at your cat collar? Are you getting into an argument with your boyfriend about feminism? You know, what are you doing? Like, how are you lighting the patriarchy on fire? You know, we've all been in those situations where we've said or done something that um, because we've been infuriated, it's easy to be angry in our climate today. And we want to celebrate those moments and we want to read them and we want to talk about them. Um, so, yeah, we want to want to get into it. Absolutely. So please comment on uh, our Instagram. Let us know what you're doing to Feminist Your Wednesday. Validate that anger. Have you done anything this week, Diana? Oh, my God. I got into like a little bit of a tiff. Um, <laughs> with one of my guy friends who was just kind of trying to hold court and share his opinions about Greta Gerwig and I wasn't having it so yeah. I feminist my Wednesday and I just you kindly gotta put do him it. in line you gotta do it <laughs> I will defend Greta Gerwig till the hilt there's nothing to defend she's fabulous amazing um, are there any things you're looking forward to yes there's a movie coming out called Annihilation with Natalie Portman um, it's directed by the same director as Ex Machina. Mm. And it's like sci-fi and has Oscar Isaac and Gina Rodriguez. And I just think it's going to be really, really fabulous. So I'm excited Ooh, Gina that. Rodriguez. Yeah. Oh, I've seen her Snapchats of her working on the movie with her shaved head. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I love Natalie Portman more than life itself. So really, really looking forward to that. Cool. How about you? Uh, when does Black Panther come out? Soon. Is it soon? It's February, no? Yeah, it's very soon. I'm excited about that. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Well, I don't do well with comic book movies, but I'm excited for what it represents. I, I'm, I, I feel war- I'm warming to this, the comic book space. You're going to do I like Spider-Man. I like Wonder Woman. I'm, I'm dipping in. She's coming in. She's yeah. coming in. Cool. Cool. Happy Feminist Wednesday, Erin. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The The Bitch Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!